Our Father, we thank you for this passage um, that uh, Pastor Andy will be preaching about and which we'll be reading now. Lord, may the words that we read and Pastor Andy's exposition of it and application of it be very important as we know it's the message from you for this day and for this period in our life. We thank you for it. Amen. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I invite Pastor Andrew out. Thank you, Inika. Uh, really well read. Uh, well, thanks again so much for having us today. It's great to be here, and it's a privilege to open up God's Word with you. Uh, and it would be helpful if you could have a Bible open in front of you. We'll be in uh, that passage in 2 Timothy. Uh, and before we do, uh, for my sake and yours, let's also pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, equip us today uh, to live for you in light of what we hear, uh, that we might hear and respond through the power of your spirit at work amongst us today. And it's in Jesus' name we ask that. Amen. Well, a church needing gospel leadership looking to the future a powerful opposition to biblical teaching in the surrounding culture. Worldviews are colliding. False teaching is an ever-present threat. Uh, and some are deconstructing their faith and turning to a different gospel, even turning to a different pattern of ministry to what's come before. And there's an urgent need to clarify as the world watches on. Now, what do you reckon? Is that talking of the first century church or the church in Victoria in 2022? You tell me. Well, Paul's second letter to Timothy is a call to endurance in the face of opposition and suffering for the gospel. And I wonder if it's not what you and I... Allow me to set the scene for us. Paul is an old man, as Inica said, in prison in Rome. And he's setting his affairs in order through this letter. 
He says later on that the time for his departure is approaching. I fought the good fights. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And as he's nearing his end uh, to the next generation, and and for Timothy, it's a situation of gospel crisis, uh, where at the time of 1 Timothy, uh, things were perhaps going quite well. Uh, By this point, Gospel ministry is altogether harder. Uh, it's a really interesting to, thing to do, to compare the two situations of First Timothy and Second Timothy. And I think here he is outnumbered and intimidated, and he's tempted to go in a different direction, uh, just to make ministry just a little bit easier. And so his faith in Jesus has become isolating in a world where people just don't want to hear the truth. And others are twisting the truth for Paul too. Uh, you just have to look back, chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Paul's been deserted. He names former co-workers who have just given up on him. And what he does, he sets about reminding Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, back in verse 8. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me, verse 13. Guard it. In verse 14, and then into our chapter that we heard, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And then he sets up the the post-apostolic age, the age without the apostles, in verse 2, with leaders who can teach the gospel of the apostles. And so he encourages Timothy to face suffering in the gospel, like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. There's a battle to be fought, a race to win, and a harvest to bring in. It requires disciplined service and focus and hard work. And Paul is not asking for anything that he hasn't done or faced himself. But if you think about it, those demands can be pretty intimidating, can't they? There's certain parts of Scripture where you go, how on earth can I live this life? Well, John Calvin said, what God demands from us in his word is spirit. He gives help to live this life, this life shaped by the gospel. And that brings us up to verse 8, which is a really intriguing verse, isn't it? Remember Jesus Christ. Why would Paul need to say that? Why would Timothy need to hear it? (laughs) Then you're all on about... Christ. Well, as I said, you and I need great clarity when it comes to what the gospel is and what it's about. And central to the gospel is the Lord Jesus himself. And so we'll be covering this in three pretty simple areas. Who Jesus is, what Jesus... That's our three points from here. Who, what and why. I hope you can keep up with that. So firstly, who Jesus is, and I think we'll go to the first slide. There we go. Uh, I'm not so sure that the uh, first century had a national church life survey, uh, but our most recent one has some pause for thought. If you throw this up, according to this year's survey, only half of Australians understand Jesus to have been a real person who actually lived in history. 29% of us are on the fence. That's pretty typical. Uh, But 22% say that it's myth. 
and I've just finished an excellent book by Rebecca McLaughlin, I've got a picture of it there, uh, uh, where she tackles uh, just this issue. She calls it Confronting Jesus, and it's worth a look. And she makes it clear that not even atheist scholars deny that Jesus existed. And she quotes one sceptical academic who agrees that it's a view held by just about every historical expert on the planet. Jesus existed, and I think we need to have some words with the 22% there. Uh, If you've ever seen the musical Hamilton, you'll probably know the uh, first scene that introduces the main character with all the other characters in his life a part of introducing him uh, until the man who shot him, Aaron Burr, comes and says, what's your name, man? And the spotlight comes down and hangs over him, Alexander Hamilton. And the Gospels, too, begin with who the main character is. And the New Testament starts with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And while that might seem a little bit strange to us, what Matthew achieves is to link the two testaments together, old and new. They are both all about Jesus. And Matthew goes on, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he lists all these people from Abraham all the way through to Joseph, husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who was called Christ. And if you look at that list of names, it's pretty overwhelming in the first chapter of Matthew, but it's saying all their stories were part of the one big story of Jesus the Messiah, the promised king. So back in uh, 2 Timothy, when Paul is telling his trusted gospel co-worker, remember Jesus Christ, he's reiterating the importance of who Jesus is. He's the offspring of David. And this is a crucial part of the gospel message that connects Jesus' lineage all the way back to these promises in the Old Testament. Uh, If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, you might have been perhaps a little disappointed with the Amazon series, uh, The Rings of Power. Uh, Maybe you're completely confused as to what it's all about. Uh, But it's like kind of the Old Testament stories before the time of Bilbo and Frodo. And it gives something of the backstory to how the magic rings all came to be. You can probably take or leave uh, the rings of power, Uh, but the Old Testament is essential for you and me to discover who Jesus is and why he came. If he's the offspring of David, then he's heir to this promise from God to King David. And that's back in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, which I'll throw up here as well. David has great plans to build a house or a temple for the Lord. And there's actually a play on words in that chapter uh, with the word house. David's not happy with the tent or the tabernacle, and he wants to build God a house. And he tells this idea to the prophet Nathan, who initially agrees with him, uh, but then the Lord has something to say. And he comes that night with this message for David. And it says instead that the Lord will build a house for David. And it's really talking about a lineage. And it's talking about a person, a descendant, uh, who will, I will establish his kingdom, it says. He is the one who will build a house for my name. 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, where Queen Elizabeth's reign was a long one, uh, I think the latest Prime Minister in the UK had a slightly shorter one, uh, a curious footnote, but the rule of Jesus will stretch into eternity. It's an incredible promise. Remember Jesus Christ, because he's the centrepiece of all of God's promises. He's the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the sin-smashing, serpent-crushing, offspring promised to Eve. He is the true Israel. He is the truly faithful son of God. He is our wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel God with us. And a shepherd. He is sovereign, glorious, and our loving Lord, who knows what it is to face betrayal and opposition. And as we'll see in a moment, he is the rejected and despised servant who understands suffering more than we can know. Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. From your walk with Jesus, then you won't properly understand who he is. Your view of him will be tiny, and a tiny Jesus just won't do. But the more you look at Jesus, the greater and the more glorious he gets. And of course, the New Testament brings all this together, doesn't it? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1. He holds supremacy over all creation. He upholds the universe uh, in Hebrews 1 by the power of his word. He is the word of God, and he's the head of the church, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's incredible, and he is a loving saviour. All of our knees will bow before him, and he is the eternal king. So please let me ask you, have you realised who Jesus is? Is he central to your life? Are you putting Jesus front and centre in your ministry? Is it possible that you've forgotten him in your business life, in your family life, or your daily routine? Does he have the place he deserves? Could it be that you've replaced him or sidelined him or just ousted him with something else, with moralism or traditionalism or religiosity? Please understand that if Jesus is who this says he is, then his kingdom is more important than my kingdom or your kingdom. So remember who Jesus is. Secondly, let's look at what Jesus did. Well, Pilate and the Jewish leadership thought that they'd finally dealt with this matter of King Jesus. The Roman soldiers mocked him. They pretended to bow before him in homage uh, and then they beat him. And they stripped him of his clothes and he hung on a cross between two criminals. And then ironically, Pilate had that sign put above the cross for everyone to read and understand. I think it was in three different languages. Jesus of Nazareth. But it's saying, this is your dead king. And it all seems like victory to his enemies. But what Pilate never realised was that all that was happening was coming in fulfilment of God's promises. Nothing was outside of God's sovereign providence and redemptive plan. 
Not only is Jesus the main character in this drama, but he's its author and producer and director all at the same time. The king wore a crown upon a cross. Isn't that extraordinary? And his death wasn't unexpected. (laughs) It wasn't the end, the bitter end. Jesus had set his face to it. Uh, He headed for Jerusalem and he told his disciples along the way what was going to happen to him. And he went willingly and knowingly and humbly. And he didn't endure that cross to gain power and glory because he already had that. He did it for you and me. And it means you can be forgiven and come to know this all-conquering king for yourself. And if, can I say, if you don't yet know Jesus, well, you're invited to come and see him for who he is and what he's done for you. My life has never been the same. Christians aren't better people. They are fellow sinners who are trusting in what Jesus has done for them. And a Christian is someone who isn't trusting in their self-righteousness, but in his. We'll throw the next slide up. Despite the warnings, it's really disturbing to hear that people deliberately attempt to drive their Toyota Yaris (laughs) through flood water. And then the inevitable happens, and the emergency services are pretty frustrated, aren't they? There's hundreds of these rescues going on. But the Bible says that without exception, we have all driven selfishly and recklessly into the floodwaters of sin, and we need rescue. You and I are helpless and hopeless on our own. Romans 3 says there is no one without sin. We have all of us fallen short of the glory of God. And without rescue, you will one day face a holy God unforgiven. But there is a rescue, and it's the only hope that we have, is this gospel hope. If you believe in Jesus and you trust him for the forgiveness of your sin, then the mud and the stench of that sin is washed clean by him who paid the price of it. So his cross and resurrection are the only way that you can come to God, accepted and welcomed, The gospel is like God has a sheet of paper with your name at the top and a list of all your sins written on it. Both sides, probably tiny little print. But then he also has a sheet of paper with Jesus' name on the top and it's blank. And somehow there's an exchange being made. The the names are swapped (laughs) and the penalty that you and I rightly deserve for that sin is laid on him. And your sin is carried by a sinless, sin-bearing substitute. And he takes the penalty that we deserve for our selfishness, our bankrupt and our stubborn hearts, our brokenness, our failings, is all on him. And for the times where we snub God and we live for ourselves, so your sin matters a great deal to God, so much so that he came to die. And you can't make up for sin on your own. You cannot undo the past somehow. You can't work it off later. You can't pay enough or do enough good to cancel it all out. 
You cannot achieve what Jesus did alone. And he did it for you. Jonathan Edwards said, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. What Pilate didn't expect is what Paul says we're also called to remember. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That's saying, remember his death and resurrection. It's the heart of the gospel that though he is God, he humbled himself and came as a human being and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And through the story of the Bible, God's people are called to remember, to remember his rescuing of them, to remember his covenants, his promises, his word, his steadfast love, his mercy, his judgment, his mighty acts. And that remembering was a source of comfort, but it was also a matter of life and death for them. It is a vital aspect of ongoing relationship between you and God that you would remember him and what he's done for you. You don't graduate away from the gospel. It is part of your life until you meet him face to face. And so it is the same for us today. We remember Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, knowing that that act echoes for eternity. It means he is alive now and he reigns forever and ever. And so we remember his compassion, his, his kindness to us, his power that upholds the universe, his constancy in your life, his understanding of you, and his love that went to the cross. Remember, he defeated death itself. And it's the happiest of happy endings, isn't it? The dawning light after the darkest moment in history. He came, he suffered, he died for you, but he came back to life. And so one day he will return and we will live too with him forever. He lives my ever-living head. His resurrection secures mine and yours. Because he lives, you have a resurrection hope that changes how you live in this world. You can live in light of eternity. You can face whatever comes tomorrow knowing that Jesus rose, and so shall I. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Well, thirdly this morning, so what? Why does this matter for us today? Well, back in the National Church Life Survey, when asked about the resurrection, 44% of Australians say they believe Jesus rose from the dead. One in three uh, don't believe at all. If we go to the next slide, this is an interesting one. Three out of ten Australians said if they were invited by close friends or family, they would come to a Christmas service. That's something to reflect on. Uh, Another survey I read just during the week puts it at about 68%, at least slightly likely, to come in person to a service if they were invited by someone they knew. We go to the next slide. Unfortunately... (laughs) More than half of people living in Australia don't have a close friend or family member who attends church regularly. Uh, I was at the Gospel Coalition Conference just last weekend and we heard from the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Kanishka Raphael, and he started a message on Titus with this. It did not become difficult 
to preach the gospel in Australia on the day that the football club CEO, Andrew Thorburn, was sacked. It was already difficult. But that event highlighted something that we all knew that was already true. Ministry can be very hard. And our surrounding culture, with its constant focus on me, myself and I, above everything else, has been on a collision course with the message of the gospel for quite some time. And I can't, can't promise to you that things will get any better. But what I can margins, historically the church tends to preach with greater boldness and passion and humility. Living faithfully is also noticed. Uh, listen to what AFL chief Gil McLaughlin said about Andrew Thorburn. I've spoken to Andrew. He is, in my experience, a first-class person. And to be honest with you, that he went with his faith doesn't surprise me because he's a person of great conviction. What a testimony about a friend there. But will you do be that too? Will you go with your faith when it comes to the crunch in your life? Uh, I heard a leader from the City on the Hill church uh, church to galvanise them together. And they've seen amazing attendances at all their church services ever since. Uh, some in the media commented on, on how loving and welcoming their community was as they came to visit. Uh, then there's the story of a security guard that they put on for one of their services uh, who was asking if he could come back again the next Sunday and find out more about Jesus. See, God still works through his people. And in times of crisis, he's closer than we can really imagine. And Jesus lives and he reigns and he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The church needs to remember Jesus Christ as matter. You and I need to be grounded in the gospel and hold firm to that light that shines in the darkness. Uh, as Aussie society becomes more hostile uh, to Christian faith and practice, there are Christians in other parts of the world uh, that we can learn from, those who know all about remembering Jesus in the midst of their persecution and suffering. Uh, many Chinese house churches have been questioned by the police uh, or put under surveillance. Some have been kicked out of their worship spaces or even seen their pastor put in jail. And many of its leaders were unable to attend a big ministry conference that was back at the very beginning of the pandemic in KL. Uh, and I think a lot of them was all to do with Wuhan, associated with that. And so what the con conference organisers did was live stream it. And they discovered that there was tens of thousands of Chinese Christians who had tuned in from home. And ever since that, a network of preachers have been holding public evangelical meetings where anyone can join in without regard for their security. Truly God's word is not chained up. It is unstoppable. Where you might be tempted to believe the world's narrative that Christianity is on the decrease, well, China continues its trajectory of having more Christians than ever before. Uh, one leading Chinese pastor said this, the mark of the church is the cross. If you truly live the life of Christ, you will be persecuted. 
but you will also have resurrection power. You will have the power to suffer. See, living for the gospel will cost you. And like Paul, people may desert you, they will follow the crowd, or even turn on you. And if you look over uh, into chapter 3, just put that verse up on here. Uh, There's this stark reality that we need to be prepared for, that if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. But hear this encouragement, encouragement for all of us today. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ at school when your mates are mocking you because you're a Christian. Stand firm in the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ when you're overlooked for a promotion at work because you choose to act with integrity. Stand firm. Remember Jesus Christ uh, when you are processing a cancer diagnosis or facing the end of your life. You will be with him forever. Remember Jesus Christ when a secondary issue in your team or your life group threatens to become a primary issue. Stand firm in the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ if you're an Optus or a Medibank customer and you've lost your identity. It's out there somewhere. Remember Jesus Christ if you're an Essendon supporter. Thanks for being here today. Find your identity safe in the risen Lord Jesus. Take heart in these words from this godly man who loved Jesus to the very end, who from prison, who was bound with chains like a criminal, still declared his great hope. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Would you pray with me? Well, Heavenly Father, without the resurrection, there would be no gospel and no hope. And we praise you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to come for us, to come and die for us, and yet live again, so that we too might have eternal life. We thank you for your promise, Lord Jesus, that you are always with us to the very end of the age. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit to dwell with us, to lead and guide us and encourage us as we come to see you for who you are and worship you as our Lord and Saviour. Help us to go and tell others, to look for opportunities to speak of you with boldness, with compassion, with grace, knowing that you're always with us. Thank you for defeating death so that we too might live in light of that resurrection hope each and every day.